0: Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m. Wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m. Grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m. Book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at AmericanExpress.com/slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge, now it's almost tip-off and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.
1: Finally, finally, we get a little resolution to our wild and crazy NBA summer. Kyrie Irving traded to the Boston Celtics for Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Ante Zizek, and a 2018 draft pick, unprotected Lang Whitaker.
2: You got to be feeling good about this. I think Carmelo Anthony just said, hang <laughs> on a second. <laughs> the, Smith. Summer, the summer ain't over. Exactly. Sekou Smith and Lang Whitaker here at the hang
1: Time Podcast. We've been teasing it all summer, basically since we found out that Kyrie Irving wanted out of Cleveland that, hey, maybe next week's the week. Well, it's here. It has finally happened. Danny Ainge. Pulls the trigger on another blockbuster deal to crank it up once again before training camp starts. Kobe Altman with the bounty, Lang. He, he got a monster haul for the Cavaliers for Kyrie Irving, which I think we said it at the time. There was no way you're going to training camp with right. LeBron James and, and Kyrie Irving on the same team.
2: But I was sort of, I think last week, Schumann just about convinced me they would. <laughs> they, Don't listen they, to Schumann. <laughs> yeah, I should have learned Come on. I should have learned.
1: Don't listen to John.
2: I was about convinced that that was going to be their best option no. was to wait until no. they were able to to you know include other guys in this thing. I just I couldn't I couldn't figure out a way that if you were Cleveland or if you were Boston that you would trade with the other team. There's listen,
1: there's no honor among front office thieves anymore. There, I mean, players get traded to rivals. They leave for rivals via free agency. Yeah. I mean, this whole thing is upside down. Nobody nobody plays by the rules of yesteryear, Lang. You know, you're trading guys within divisions, trading them to the team you just played and vanquished in the conference finals yeah. or lost to in the conference finals. I remember when we were talking about Jimmy Butler. You know getting moved and and who who worked the phones on that trade between Tom Thibodeau and the in the Bulls front office that ran him out of town I mean this is this is our new reality in the NBA that Kyrie Irving the guy he matched matched up against in the conference finals months ago have now been moved basically for each other
2: it's weird <laughs> a good Isn't kind it? of weird I like it yeah it's great it's pretty awesome it's just so strange and I don't understand exactly how this whole thing came together <laughs> That. I have a lot of questions, but I guess maybe the first one would be, did you see what Indiana got for Paul George? <laughs> did you see what the Bulls got for Jimmy Butler? Yeah. And now, do you see what Cleveland got for Kyrie Irving?
1: Uh, it's, it's jaw-dropping. I think, And if anything, there are a bunch of people in Chicago, in Indiana, and other places who are scratching their head. And they're going, what were we thinking? Like, why did we <laughs> – why, why did we make this move when we could have held out and done something else? And I, I'm going to tell you this. Danny Ainge, you say what you want about him. Danny Ainge pulled off a monster deal or something. Think about what he did. He knew that he had a better shot of getting Gordon Hayward in free agency mm-hmm. than anybody probably realized. And a lot of us speculated it, it was a no-brainer with Brad Stevens and Gordon Hayward's connection. But if you know that and you're Danny Ainge, why would you give up the assets to right. trade for Paul George or Jimmy Butler? When you know you can get Hayward, and then you can put save the assets to make a deal like this. Now, that granted, he didn't know that Kyrie Irving wanted out. You know, He didn't know that Kyrie Irving wanted out. But once that happens, you're sitting
2: there with your pockets loaded ready to make a deal. But apparently you could have gotten Paul George and still held on to all these assets because what they traded Paul George for wasn't anything close to this. I mean, this the, comparing these trades – it's not like apples and oranges. It's like apples in an orchard. I mean, it. it they, the, I think the Cavs cashed in on this trade. Well, I agree with you, but let's see what uh, our
1: main man Mike Lee of the Vertical. Thanks, Mike. Welcome to the wildest and craziest NBA summer on record.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Great
1: job by the Vertical, of course, breaking this story. Had a sham bomb last night. You know,
3: saw Shams. Yeah, you yep. know
1: the young Jedi vanquishing. <laughs> Vanquishing elders left and right. What what was your initial reaction to the deal itself in terms of none of us uh, apparently saw this coming until, what, two hours before it happened? Yeah,
3: but I guess that's uh, what uh, Dan Gilbert likes to do when he makes a big deal. Uh, You know, he wants to get it done in August because he figured the the Kevin Love trade was August 23rd um, in uh, 2014 when when they got him for Andrew Wiggins. So, August 22nd, I guess you should have been expecting something (laughs) around that, given uh, the way Dan Gilbert, I guess, operates when it comes to making blockbuster trades for the Cavs. Um, But, no, you're right. I I don't think anybody expected it. I think when it started to drag on and taking a long time, um, it sort of looked like they were just about to head for a really awkward training camp where LeBron and Kyrie would have to maybe smooth things over uh, before they started playing one last season together. But, but no, clearly... Um the young, uh, new young GM, Kobe Altman, had something up his sleeve. And Danny Ainge did, too, because um, he's been sitting on his assets, you know, this treasure trove of assets for you know, several years. And now he finally decided to put them all on the table to get the guy he really wanted all along.
1: Not only that, Lane, they still have – he's still got a pile of draft picks. Mm-hmm. Like you did this, and you still got plenty of draft picks to play around with. But I, yeah, I think a... I think he
3: probably was more willing to make the trade, to give up the Brooklyn pick now because he was able to get that the Lakers pick, you right. know, in that trade, um, for the number one pick uh, you know, for the draft. So I think that gave him a little more, you know, he I guess the value of that Brooklyn pick wasn't as high as, as he you know, as it was maybe at the trade deadline. I think now he had that extra asset. It was willing to sacrifice it, but it still it was an amazing haul for the Cavaliers. You know, considering they didn't have very much leverage. Um, you know, they didn't. They knew Kyrie. I wanted out. Everyone in the league knew that he wanted out, um, and they were going to have a pretty much a difficult situation to try to bring him and LeBron together. Because once you make it known that you don't want to play with LeBron, it, it would take a lot of healing <laughs> to kind of uh, <laughs> you know make it work. I mean, we've seen situations in the past happened, you know, where, you know, Kobe demanded a trade and was at basically demanding everybody got traded out of town, but he went back and then um, they wound up getting Paul Gasol to help him win, but um, but overall, it's usually tough when it's main, when it's known that somebody doesn't want to play with the other guy.
1: You you demanded everybody got traded, too. You're rolling with Smush Parker and some of the cats Kobe was running with. <laughs> <laughs> no disrespect, Smush, but.
2: <laughs> Did you see uh I think LeBron has has become a master of the passive aggressive social media post and I think we've seen it this summer, especially like this last couple of days. I've seen two or three videos of LeBron working out, and some, I think Dave McVinneman tweeted he heard the word "obsessed" was was the word <laughs> that you could use to describe it. We see the videos of LeBron even at this stage in his career, um, shirtless in the gym, running up and down the court, doing layup <laughs> drills, and you know, I mean, he clearly seems like he is locked in, and uh, I I feel like. If you, we can talk about who won this trade, who did the best, who did the worst. The, Boston has a totally different team than they had a year ago, and they're going to probably play a different style, all this stuff. They still got to beat LeBron in the, to get past LeBron. And I don't know if any of all this we're talking about in the trades, the moves, all these different things, are they going to be better than LeBron now?
3: Well, let's take it to the next level, because it's not even just about LeBron. Isn't it really all about Golden State? because we can maneuver all the chairs and move them around however you want, but you still can kind to of find a way to beat the go, Golden State Warriors, and neither team can look at themselves and say, yeah, now we have a team. They can take them out. So, um, so yeah, LeBron still is the king of the East, and uh, that was going to be the case whether Kyrie stayed or went anywhere. Um, and, you know, until he's willing to give up the, the reins, nobody's really taking them from him. So, but yeah. I think the one key is that I don't know if it puts him closer to beating Golden State, and that's really what every move should be about, you know, right about now. And I don't know if that move is, is – if anybody's capable of making that move uh this year because it looks like Golden State is so far ahead of everybody else, especially since Kevin Durant was unleashed, you know, during this uh postseason and in a different way. I mean, he's always been a great player, but I think we saw a much, you know, more focused defensive player and someone who could bring it on both ends. And then you just add that to the depth that they were able to add. Um, you know, a lot of teams made moves this offseason. You know, Houston with Chris Paul, um, you know, Oklahoma City with Paul George, uh, Minnesota with Jimmy Butler, and now, now Boston with Kyrie. But you just got to ask yourself, <laughs> is it all just, you know, a fun distraction that we can look at new faces in new places? But in the end, we still got to look back at that team in Oakland and, and wonder if anybody can really take them out.
1: How about you just take all the dudes that got moved this summer, put them on a team, and let them play the Warriors? Ooh, can we put that team in Seattle? (laughs) (laughs) So uh,
2: what do you have, like an Isaiah Kyrie backcourt?
1: P. George, Jimmy Butler, C.P., you know, play a little small ball. Um I don't. I
3: still don't think they can beat. The I don't Warriors know if they in can beat game them. <laughs> yeah. can you can you add, Can you just throw in uh, Demarcus since he got moved this year? Just add him <laughs> <No>. in. <laughs> Paul Millsap. Yeah, if you got that, I like that squad. All, all the all the players that got traded this calendar year, I like that sport. They
1: might have the best chance of beating the Warriors. I'm gonna tell you right now, <laughs> Cleveland and Boston are no closer to beating the Warriors today than they were, yeah. you know, yesterday. It's, to me, it's almost divide and conquer for the Warriors. Like, this is the best-case scenario for them. Boston is retooled, so and you're not scared of Boston anyway, obviously, but Boston is a totally revamped team. You know, four players from last season. Uh, you know, Al Horford, yeah. Marcus yeah, Smart, yeah. The, the one positive, Jalen Brown and though, Roche. For,
3: um, for Cleveland and, and Boston is that, you know, they're both positioned to be well, to do well down the road. I mean, I think the moves – we're good for them in the in the present, but also in the future. Because I think that you had a guy, twenty five year old guy, um, to a group with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown um, and, and Gordon Hayward. You know, you got a nice young group that can kind of grow the next three or four years. And you know, Golden State is as good as they are now, um, as solid as they are now. You know, will their ownership there be committed to the luxury tax payments? that is going to cost to keep that, that team intact, especially when a Clay Thompson and a Dream, uh, Draymond Green come up for free agency. You know, if you're Boston, you're you're winding up, you're going to have these young guys that you've taken with top three picks and then add another one next year, you're going to be moving forward with that. And then if you're Cleveland, to get that Brooklyn pick, you wound up um, – you got that Brooklyn pick, and now you're going to wind up um, – being prepared for whenever LeBron leaves, or if he leaves, mm. you have a future in place, so let me or, or let me wait wait wait
1: wait wait wait. Wait, 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 wait i got
2: I'm ahead of you, or if LeBron stays no, no, but you're
1: prepared to to reload no lang listen let's 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 remember what future picks look like when Kyrie was the future pick, what' they do to f- those first three years of his career you cannot'm and I say this time and again, you cannot bank on whatever that pick is going to be, because whoever it is, if it's my, you know, let's just throw names out. It's Marvin Bagler, Michael Porter. How many years does it take one of those guys to get up to speed to lead a franchise into the territory we're talking about? And don't. Oh, like
3: five, six years. Yeah.
1: And that's what I'm saying. And don't forget. Yeah. It's always about the money. Follow the money. Cleveland is safe. Think about how much money Dan Gilbert is saving in luxury tax dollars. And, and ask yourself, okay, why did this deal get done? It's, I'm sure they're in love with that 2018 draft pick, that unprotected pick. But if I'm Dan Gilbert, I'm going to the bank with that $29.1 million I'm saving in luxury tax money before I'm going with a draft pick.
2: Well, or do you take that draft pick and turn around and flip it?
3: Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe they use that pick to get It's only
2: valuable if, it. if the Nets stink this year. They're going to stink. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> what, <laughs> gonna... what evidence do you think?
3: Do think the Nets will be good this year? No,
1: I didn't say I didn't say they were going to be good. <laughs> I just said that's the they only won't way that bad. they will be. They will be awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way that pick has the luster on it is if the Nets do
2: what I think the Nets, Nets are going to be. I think they're going to be better than they were a year ago, mm-hmm. but I also think that they're still going to be probably one of the five worst teams in the NBA. Right? Yeah, I think they'll
3: be better, but also you got to think about how bad the East got too. There's yeah. going to be a lot of teams down there competing with them at the bottom. So um they're not going to be there by themselves. they're not going to be the squad that um that you can just walk all over cuz there's going to be some teams like Chicago sorry Atlanta you know <laughs> that are going to struggle next year and Brooklyn's going to be right there in the mix with them.
1: It's going to be a struggle for several teams in the east but I am I'm, I'm more curious what you two think was it too much for the Celtics to give up all that they gave up to get Kyrie who Stall me out here. For all the love Kyrie has gotten the last three years, he's not improved as a defender. We don't know if he can lead a a team the way you want a guy that's the face of your franchise to because he's had the blanket of playing with LeBron the last three years. Was it too much if you're Boston to give all of that up? Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, the pick, uh, you know,
2: a project in in Zizich. Giving all that up for Kyrie, is that worth it? Um, I I have two takes on this. First of all, yes, I think it was too much to give up. Mm -hmm. Um, I understand the Crowder inclusion because of the contract, but he's also one of the best defenders in the league against LeBron James, (laughs) and now you just put him on LeBron's (laughs) team. Um, And then you give up uh, Zizic, this seven-footer who's can run and is twenty years old, and 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 the first round pick, which might be a lottery pick, and we know how Cleveland does in the lottery; they they've done pretty well the last few years. Except for whatever for reason, uh, Anthony Bennett, they win it well, all the time, but they get the number one pick. They always end up. They have, somehow they know how the ping pong balls work. So, <laughs> I, for whatever reason, I, I I think it was too much to give up. That being said, I think you can make a pretty good case for why Boston did this. Um, uh, you know, superstars are hard to get. You have to give up a lot to get great players. And I think Kyrie is one of those players. He's 25 He's under contract for a couple more seasons. The leadership thing doesn't really bother me too much. Cause you have Al Horford there. And I feel like he can kind of take on that veteran guy who, who um, is the leader of that team sort of mm-hmm. role. And defensively Kyrie hasn't gotten better, but, and you lost Avery Bradley, but I don't know that Kyrie is appreciably worse defender than, than Isaiah Thomas. I mean, teams picked <laughs> on Isaiah Thomas because of his size, um, Isaiah tried hard, but a lot of teams would target him because of his size. And I, I don't know that it's that much of a drop-off to have Kyrie in there, and you still got Marcus Smart in there. I think you can put them in the backcourt together and let Marcus kind of do what Avery Bradley did for for Isaiah and provide that cover for for him. How's that for an argument? I think no,
3: I kind of agree with I agree with you that I think they did give up um, too much. Um, especially when you uh, consider the draft pick, you know, and, and the uh, the project's big man, you know, I think it could have been one or the other, but to give up both, um, you know, I think that was, they did over, overpay. But like you said, you know, stars are hard to come by. And I think that if you look at the situation where, you know, Paul George and Marcus Cousins, the return on those guys wasn't what you'd expect for a player of caliber, but they also only had one year left on their deal. The fact that Kyrie had two years left on his deal and there's, a greater likelihood that you'd be able to, um, you know, re-sign him or give him an extension down the road. Um, I think that that was something that you had to you had to give up something. Um, but I think a lot of the, the things that, you know, said about Kyrie, you know, um, you know, based on what he did his first three years, they kind of go in line with what you said with him being so young, him coming out of college, you know, after one year, um, being 19 and basically having the franchise, you know, given to him um that's a lot of responsibility and i don't know if anybody no matter what how how mature you are can handle that situation when you don't have any help and he was sort of out there on his own he went through a a, a lot of coaches um i mean we've seen it now even though cleveland is a established franchise the, the ownership still makes kind of crazy decisions when it comes to to coaches and with um with the the, the executives, they just flip them and change them, you know, whenever they want to. And a lot of that kind of fell on Kyrie. Um, And I think that, you know, saying that he was kind of being protected by LeBron in the sense that he didn't have to deal with those criticisms. I think that in a lot of ways he probably had a more difficult uh, adjustment than anybody because, you know, he's a number one pick, but at no point, were, were moves made for that organization to build a team around him. You know, um, when he first got there, they had all the leftover guys and LeBron left behind, and he had to play with them. And then once LeBron showed up, the team was being built to, to maximize LeBron's prime, not Kyrie's. Right. And I think that, um, so, you know, the team wasn't successful when LeBron sat. There's a reason why. The team was built for LeBron. It wasn't built for Kyrie. Um, And I think that now that he goes to Boston, he gets to play point guard for Brad Stevens, Mm -hmm. who is like the point guard whisperer. I mean, (laughs) you think about the guys that have gone to that system and played well above their head and and thrive. Um, Isaiah went there. He was not a two-time All-Star before he got there. He's not a guy. He's on on a very low salary now because people expect him to be what he's become. A lot of that is because of what's happening um, with Brad Stevens. I remember Jordan Crawford. You know, he's a guy – that the Wizards just had to give away at the trade deadline. He goes there. He's Eastern Conference Player of the Week, you know, uh, when he plays for Brad Stevens. So I'm thinking Kyrie Irving in that system um, with that scheme, you know, uh, Brad can just show Kyrie, look, at this, this is what I did for Isaiah. We can run these same plays for you and see how you finish. I think he's going to love playing with, for him, and he's going to flourish there. Um I don't know um how much more he can flourish than what he has in the past but I think that you know the, the best part of that move for Boston is that Kyrie wants the pressure. Kyrie wants the um the attention he wants to be on a big stage and Gordon Hayward, you know, um who they just signed a free agency, he he wanted to be a part of a team and there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to sort of be the star considering the contract he got. With Kyrie there, the pressure's off of Gordon now. He can just yeah. go out there and play freely. Uh, Brad Stevens' system, and you got a guy in Kyrie who is a star who wants the pressure of a star. And now that he's you know basically abandoned the greatest player of his generation, he's gonna have to step up in a major way. So I think it works for both of them, and I think it really works out well for Boston because they got a guy who wants that, who wants that. You can tell by what he's done in pressure situations how much he enjoys it. Um, it's just gonna be interesting to see how it all comes together with all the new pieces, but I don't, I don't think you have to worry about you know Kyrie playing for Brad Stevens, because so that just seems like a perfect fit.
2: You know why uh, that, those teams were built around LeBron instead of Kyrie? Because LeBron's better.
3: <laughs> oh, are we? Are we? I'm not even.
2: <laughs> I'm, not gonna
3: discuss, I'm not gonna debate that. I mean, come I'm just, on, I just want to let's of the generation. I just wanted to point that out. Just a little.
1: I love how Lang likes to sprinkle in those uh, Captain Obvious facts.
3: Uh, <laughs> Appreciate that. You know, l- I'm listen. Glad, I'm glad you explained that to me. I didn't yeah. realize that, that was the case. Think about it. If, you, if you're a number one pick and you get drafted to an organization, how how typically does it, does it work out for you? Might. It should be the team is built around you. No, right?
1: but look, this is the same organization that drafted Anthony Bennett. Like To me, no. it's it's not about – you being the number one pick and being drafted in the right situation. It's about you being the right number one pick. And this is why True. I'm looking at that 2018 draft pick and saying to myself, this year we had a draft where we weren't quite sure who the top talent was going into the process at the start of the year. I don't know that everybody assumed based on them coming out of high school that Markel Fultz would be the top guy in this draft. And it it was guards, swingmen, not a not a transcendent talent, six eight or taller, that that became the number one pick in this draft. Next year we have two guys who are clear cut by by most estimations who are those types of guys in Marvin Bagley and Michael Porter Jr. And I'm just sitting here thinking, if I'm playing the game that Danny Ainge has been playing all these years, and I love Jason Tatum. Even though I traded back from the number one pick to get him, you know, and I love all the subterfuge that goes on after the draft. Well, we really wanted this guy, and that's why we moved. Blah, blah. whatever. If I know <laughs> that the number one or two pick in a draft is going to be a guy that projects the way Bagley and Porter project, I don't know if I'm as eager to give up that pick unless I'm sure the guy I'm getting out performs, outplays and outranks those dudes for the next five or six years.
2: Especially because, I mean, the one thing we've heard with Boston over and over is like they, their eyes kind of been down the line. Yes. They're not, they haven't been focused on being as good as they can in the moment. They've been kind of planning down the road a little bit. And if, if you're going to go all in right now, I, I want to make sure that this is the best we can be right now and we're going to be able to compete right now for a title.
1: Um, And I don't think that – I don't think what they've done – and I'm going to read – let me read you what Boston owner Wick Grouspick said today. This is a direct quote. He said, we got bounced pretty hard last year in the playoffs, and then those guys got bounced pretty hard after that. So we didn't feel we were at the top. We didn't feel feel we were where we wanted to be. So that's what you do when you run a team. You do what you have to to try to get better. Well, are you trying to get better, or are you trying to get
2: a championship? Wait, for, first of all, back up to the bounce in the playoff pretty hard thing, because <laughs> I was covering that series. Uh, Isaiah Thomas was hurt. Remember, I, mean, I know. He, he, had, he had teeth yeah. missing. I know. He, <laughs> He, he, he got his tooth knocked playoffs. out. Yeah. yeah. He, his hip wasn't attached or yeah. whatever. I know. They're The best player, the reason they were the best team in the Eastern Conference during the regular season wasn't intact, and that's why they got bounced the way they yes. did in the playoffs. Yes. Yes, Cleveland was better. I still think Cleveland would have won that series with a healthy Isaiah Thomas, but, I mean, Mike and I were covering that Wizards-Boston uh, series when I, Isaiah Thomas, before the hip thing, really took him down. I mean, nobody could stop him. So I, no, I don't know, especially that I, game
3: I, six when before John Wall hit that three, yeah, Isaiah yeah. was basically about to barrier the Wizards. Yeah, before just, he before he hit that rest I'm just shot. saying, it, to me,
1: this is like revisionist history. Like I'm stunned at how quickly you can turn the page and be like, well, you know, we appreciate Isaiah and what he did. Let's uh, let's be real about what this this is about business. This is about sure business is. and not. They didn't wanna. They didn't feel okay. Well, look, Isaiah is a, a miniature superstar that we're not going to pay the kind of money you have to pay on his next contract to have him be the centerpiece. That's fine right. if that's what you believe and, and if that's how you operate. I'm I'm here to tell you I don't think Isaiah Thomas has been the issue in the stops he's had around the league. I think the teams he's on or he's been on have been the issue. Maybe there was a miscalculation or a, mis, or a bad evaluation of his talent in Sacramento. In Phoenix, mm-hmm. Phoenix, Phoenix didn't get either. They had what nine point guards at one point.
3: No. Yeah, no, and, it's and, funny. And, I remember when, uh, when they they had Bledsoe. Uh, Dragic. Dragic, yeah. and uh and they and they signed Isaiah, and was like, wait, why are they signing Isaiah Thomas? And none of those, all three of those guys, were like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> so, because like Isaiah signed because he thought they were going to do, they were going to let Eric Glesso go, right. And then Dragic was like, why are they keeping all these guys? And I remember at the beginning of the year, I I did a story on them, and I asked all the guys, and I talked to Isaiah, and I was like, I say, so in practice, I said, who who's who's the best point guard out there? Isaiah was like, I am. <laughs> and, like, you know, you look at it now, it's like it seemed like because he was coming off the bench at that point, And at that point, it was like, oh, okay, I guess he's confident himself. But now you look at it like he was the best player. Maybe he's right. You know, well, yeah. And the other interesting thing about Isaiah, too, when you think about this is that, you know, um, players get, get crushed whenever they decide to take the power in their own hands right. and leave and try to, you know, go somewhere as a free agent or if they demand a trade, they get vilified by fans, media, everybody says they're whatever. The loyalty works both ways, you know. It, I mean, uh, I saw uh, uh, Etan Thomas had an interesting uh, tweet last night, and he was showed the picture of Isaiah yeah, you know, being consoled that. by Avery Bradley. Yeah. And uh, when you think about what Isaiah went through last postseason with his sister dying and then coming back and playing Two days later. You know, win games and just the emotional toll, the physical toll, mental toll, all the things that he went through that postseason just to get Boston back to respectability and just the the pride that he showed in being a Celtic. Um, The fact that they were able to bail on him that quickly the minute, you know, something they thought was better came their way. I mean, fans needed to really take a step back and think about loyalty and how it works. Because it is a business at the end of the day. And I know Cleveland fans are mad at Kyrie because he wanted to go his own route and he wanted to leave behind the Cavaliers so he can get his own thing together. But this thing, loyalty, works both ways. Mm -hmm. And and teams will get rid of you in a heartbeat. So just understand that everybody is trying to do what's best for themselves in this business and just respect it if you can pull it off. Yeah. I
1: I think – I don't want it to sound like I'm I'm disrespecting Kyrie's game either. By the way, um, I, I tell people this all the time. I didn't realize how good Kyrie was until uh, the World Championships in Spain a few years ago. John Schumann and I were over there, and it was the first time I'd seen Kyrie up close on a you know on a regular basis. He only played 11 games at Duke, and nobody was watching the Cavs when he first got there, and they were losing like crazy. Um, so until you know until you really glimpse a guy up close day after day like that, I don't think you appreciate just how talented he is. He was on a team with Steph, with Clay, with other you know, stars from around the league, and he was the star of star. He was the M V P of the World Championships that year. So I'm, well, I'm I don't
3: think Harden should have got
1: it. It could have gone either one of them. It could have gone either one <laughs> of them. But James Harden has been slighted quite quite a bit in his eyes in recent years. We don't need to bring that one up, Mike. He'll be even more no, angry. No, we ain't going there. <laughs> but it, it it just goes to show the, the depth of talent right now in the league um, in the fact that some somebody said last night, I think it was on Twitter, was like, well, you know, you get a top three point guard in Kyrie, you got to make the deal. I would argue that John Wall, Chris Paul, and a bunch of other point guards around the league would ask you, you sure Kyrie, Steph Curry, they'd be like, are you sure Kyrie is a top three-point guard in this league right now? That's That wasn't a rhetorical question. One of you can answer.
2: <laughs> is Kyrie one of the three best Is he point a top three-point guard
1: in, in the NBA right now?
2: I don't think so. And I don't think that I – mean, I, I still... That's two right there, right? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, he's right
3: after them. He's next.
1: That's what the – I mean, the person said he's a top three-point guard, and I'm saying – I started – I'm sitting next to Mike Fratello last night on game time, and I started writing down names. I was like, okay, Russ, Steph, you know, in no particular order. Da, 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 da. I went six names deep before I got to Kyrie. Yeah. But, but I, I yeah. don't think. I don't think that means he's not a superstar. That's not – yeah, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying –
3: well, I, and I think I think for Kyrie, that's part of the reason why he wanted to branch out and go out on his on his own and see what he can become. Because right. in his mind, he probably he believes he's probably the best right. point guard because he gave Steph the business in the finals. But um, you know, two years ago or last year, whatever, I want to phrase it. Two years but, ago, because um, yeah, Steph smoked yeah, him but, um, in the finals so, this year. So he probably feels that he's the best, but he'll never get that recognition
1: because Planet he plays with
3: LeBron, right. who dominates the ball. He needs to play off of him. And he has to wait for his opportunities to, to do his thing. So I think he just wanted a chance to just, you know, have a chance to shine away from LeBron. Because the, the the LeBron cloud didn't just come from being his teammate. It came from the moment he got there. And it was a year after LeBron left. And all he heard his first three years were comparisons to LeBron. Like, either he wasn't on the board, did. And so he's never been able to shake LeBron at any point in his career. Um, I think this is really more about him finding that that chance to break free of that more than anything else. Um, and I, I don't, I wish him luck. I don't know if it's going to work out for him, but I do understand if you're that kind of competitor and um, you're used to being, you know, considered yourself the best, um, how frustrating it may be that you aren't getting the recognition you feel you deserve. Because, like, you're, you're saying you named six-point guards – that you believe is better, and he's probably saying, "Yeah, that's happening because nobody's really recognizing how good I am." And now he's gonna get a chance to shoot, show exactly how good he is, and we'll be able to determine it because one, he's playing in, with a great system, great um, fan base, great support, winning situation. Like if the Celtics fail, that's on him. Yeah, you know it's not gonna be on anybody else. So he gets what he gets. His wish. <sighs> we'll see. You know, I mean, how many with LeBron do to have a chance to see if that's a wise choice? Yeah. Well, I'm fact-looking. I'm
1: factoring in when I say top point guards. I'm factoring what you do on both ends of the floor. And I, I think it's fair to note that Kyrie and Isaiah Thomas, two all-stars for as good as they are, don't rank in anybody's top tier of defensive point guards. And, and that's right. what, yeah. to me, drags but it you down. Think, if you're you talking about that specific up? ranking, I mean, you know.
2: I would also, I mean well, – how much better can Kyrie, uh, how much better can he be? I mean, he, he's really good. We all realize that. I think we're all willing to say that we think he's one of the best offensive players in the league. I said during the playoffs that that he's going to be the star of TNT's the layup King next year. (laughs) When I do that show, I've never seen anybody who can finish in the paint below the rim. Like he can, he's an incredible finisher. Um, but I mean, he, he took more shots than LeBron last year. Um, he, 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 did his thing on offense. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, is he going to score more points yeah. with Boston? I mean, he's got uh, uh, players around him that he has to make better, I think. he. I mean, it, it's not so much that we need to see him – score more. I think there's lots of like Seku said defensively and and helping his teammates become better. And maybe it's off-court things too, but but there's probably ways he can improve that aren't just going to get reflected in numbers.
1: I'll tell you, let me tell you guys this last thing here Mike. I know you got a lot of work to do. Um, this reminds me in in some respects of another superstar split from our generation. Different parameters obviously, different dynamics, but Similar sentiment. Kobe and Shaq, mm. and Kobe won his own team. That time, the established champion, you know, the the dude driving the car for the championships had to leave. Kobe stayed.
2: I I feel like how Kobe Shaq thing is is right, Saqer, but it's it, but LeBron is Shaq, right? Yes,
1: yes. <laughs> and I'm saying, but but think about how they're split. Define the remainder of their the remainder of their respective careers, and do you think that this split between LeBron and Kyrie not, right now has a similar dynamic to it? That that a lot of what we gauge these two for the you know for the next few years will be based on well you know what might have been if they had stuck together what might they have done? Factoring yeah, in that I the think, Warriors I think out I think there.
3: That's the beauty of, of Kyrie being traded to a rival. You know, um you know, Boston is like the team that that's been, you know, a bronze nemesis, you know, good or bad. Either he dominated them or they they've taken him, you know, for his entire career. You know, he had the the, the the game seven battle with Paul Pierce, you know, right before this last game before the decision was in Boston Garden, you know, the game six where, you know, he had those killer eyes and that forty five <laughs> point memorable game. Yeah. It all came down to Boston. So Boston has always been the franchise and LeBron has, you know, been laser focused on, and now this guy Kyrie is going off to Boston, so that it just adds another layer of intrigue to that that whole LeBron Celtics, you know, um, rivalry. I think that's that's the best part about this deal. And when you think about it, in a Kobe Shaq um, comparison, the fact that Kyrie is going to be with the the storied franchise and having to carry on the legacy. Of an organization that's accustomed to winning, that's used to winning. Um, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that, and I think that um, he said he had the mama mentality when he took that that, <laughs> that three uh, in Game Seven um, in the finals two years ago. So I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see how how he responds to having the weight of of a franchise where just winning isn't enough, where they have 17 banners hanging, and to be a true legend and to be a true um, you know, hero in that community, you gotta hang at least one more. Um, so I, I think that that's the kind of pressure, the kind of environment that Kyrie wants to be in. And, uh, it'll be interesting to see, like I said, how he responds. But I think unlike Kobe, it's like the first couple years without Shaq, you know, he, he didn't have much talent around him. You're talking about we have playing with Smush Parker and Kwame Brown and stuff like that. Um, Kyrie doesn't have any excuses. He doesn't have any excuses and he doesn't have a chance to um, really figure it out because the pressure to win is now and he's going to have to perform.
1: Yeah. I think, I think he has to go nuclear. Like he has to have, like his numbers have to increase dramatically in other areas, not necessarily just scoring, but he's got to become a full, the full package at point guard in order for, for his game to go to another level. Um, and you bring up some history, Mike. Um that eighteen, you know, what number is Kyrie gonna wear in Boston? Uh, Eleven. Tuesday. Wouldn't it? Be, wouldn't it be cool though if he was like, you know what, I want to get an eighteen for this eighteenth championship we're about to win? I love if he showed up like just Mad Mamba mentality, talking trash about how they're getting ready to take over the league and dominate. Yeah, uh, but it ain't Kyle gonna happen. But
2: he's a millennial. See, He'll probably wear crazy I was, wear I was hoping he's wear number
3: eight to like really, like uh, you know, show <laughs> solidarity with Kobe. You
2: know, uh, I thought... uh,
3: you know Phil Handy the assistant with the cast. <laughs> You know, um, worked with the Lakers, kind of helped uh, facilitate the right. relationship between Kobe and, uh, and, uh, and Kyrie. And I know he's leaned on him for advice in a lot of ways. So it, it, it is it, – I, I, the Shaq-Kobe thing, is just falls in the line because Kyrie's mentality just seems to be so much like Kobe's. Yeah.
1: Mike Lee from The Vertical, we appreciate you as always, man, uh, jumping on and, and hanging out with us here on the Hang Time Podcast, man.
3: Hey, anytime, fellas. You know, it's always real. All right, Mike. Peace out.
1: Mike Lee, great conversation as always when he joins us on the Hangtime Podcast. Same goes for our main man, John Schumann, and the Schumann stat and our weekly trivia segment. Shoe, you know, being a New Jersey native, I know you you've probably <laughs> got some uh, opinions about your homeboy, Kyrie Irving, going to the Boston Celtics. Interesting stuff you had on the on the trade um, this morning on NBA.com and just kind of how it breaks down. What What's your evaluation of what Kyrie can do in Boston away from LeBron James?
4: I have no idea. You know what? It's crazy because, one, he's going to an offense that has, over the last few years, moved the ball a lot more than the Cavs. Mm-hmm. Um, just last year, the, the Celtics ranked, Second in passes per possession, the Cavs ranked 26th. Um, so that just tells you the contrast. And even though Kyrie was playing alongside LeBron James for, you know, 70 something percent of his minutes, um, he isolated a lot more than Isaiah Thomas and was assisted on a lot fewer, you know, on a, a much lower percentage of his buckets than Isaiah Thomas. So even though Thomas is, you know, Sort of the the primary ball handler on in his team and doesn't didn't have LeBron. He was sort of more. He's going to ca- shoot off the catch a lot more than than Thomas has. So or than Irving has. So Irving's going to a whole new offense with that moves the ball a lot more and that team is completely different than it's not like he's, they're just swapping point guards and like it's the same Celtics that we saw last year. They only got four guys returning from last year's roster, which is just amazing. Like they, they won the conference and they only got four guys coming back, which is incredible. So I, I, in conclusion, I have no idea what's going to (laughs) happen in Boston. Like, I don't know how he's going to fit at all. Like really, that's, I, I think, I think, that's going to be the more fascinating side to watch, you know, over the first few weeks of the season is, is that team, you know, watching Boston, um, rather than, you know, Cleveland. I think Cleveland, um, is still very much, you know, LeBron is still the center of their universe and they're still the same team pretty much, um, as they were before.
1: I don't, uh, I don't want to be cast as the villain today. Um, on the Kyrie Boston side of this deal. But uh, it, it fascinates me. We were talking to Mike Lee about this, and, and Mike was is much more positive about Kyrie's potential impact at 25, what he can do and in, in what kind of change he can affect in Boston going forward. But, man, it's hard for me to see you beyond what I've seen from you. Um, when you have, you know, this many years of service in the league, it's like, it would take a transformational effort on Kyrie's part, Lang, to, to become something other than the unbelievable scoring demon that he is. Like, could you see Kyrie becoming a facilitator as well and a guy who's making plays for everybody else? And do you think that is is still in his his game and we just haven't seen it because of his circumstance in Cleveland?
2: I, I've heard people talk about that and, and that, you know, in – in Cleveland, Kyrie had to be more of a finisher because LeBron had the ball for the beginning of the shot clock most of the time. Right. Uh, and we talked a little bit earlier with Mike how I was saying Kyrie is the layup king. Like, he, he, nobody finishes like he does in the paint below the rim in the NBA right now. That being said, I, I think we might be underestimating a little bit Brad Stevens' role in all this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the thing that he's been so good at is whatever players they get there, the, the system – it kind of gets redesigned to fit that guy and take best advantage of that player. Um, I mean, look, like we said, Isaiah Thomas, as good as he is, you know, it it took him and Brad Stevens being on the same um, team to, to, to have him average 30 points a game last season. Um, So, so maybe we're sort of underestimating what Brad Stevens is going to bring to this whole equation and, and what, you know, he's got two months now to sit down and figure out how to, to, unleash Kyrie in a way he hasn't been unleashed before. Um, And so I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what this means uh, with him joining the Celtics.
1: Shu, what you got for us for trivia this week, brother?
2: All right. So Isaiah
4: Thomas is the seventh leading scorer all time among players listed below six feet Mm -hmm. at 5'9". He has scored eight thousand four hundred thirty-seven points, which is seventh all-time for guys uh, under six feet. Uh, Allen Iverson, remember, is listed at six feet, so he's not on this list. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is a tough one. I'll give you. A, I'll give you a little bit to big, see if you can tell me any of the six guys that have I got, under I got six one. feet. Top of my head, scored, I thought more of, uh, that? Arch- scored more points. What's mm-hmm. that? Scored
2: more points than him? Yeah. Top right. of my head, Point I came 90. up with another Celtic, Nate Archibald. No.
4: Wow. No, t- tiny Archibald. I, he must not. I mean, be, must be listed at six feet. <laughs> he has to be under six feet. His <laughs> name is Tiny. Uh, He's not on this list. He's not on huh. this list.
1: What um, about Muggsy Bogues?
4: Nope. Well,
1: hmm. All time.
4: Wow. All these guys are retired and, and, and
1: under six feet. Mm-hmm. Um,
4: and all of them have played uh, at least eleven. All of them played at least eleven seasons. Isaiah Thomas is sixth. Has played six seasons. He's got a chance to easily move into second all-time on this list. Um, the number one guy is the only Hall of Famer on the on the list on the on this uh, list of all-time leading scores. Wow! Under six feet. Uh, uh,
1: this is it's
4: difficult. a tough one. It's a tough one. I, I it, the number I one guy is a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. I remember him best for an old timer for playing in like the last old-timers game at All-Star Weekend, and maybe hitting the game-winning shot in overtime mm-hmm. is how I know him, is how I remember him best.
1: Uh, um, what about, how tall was World Be free
2: Nope. He was taller, I, no, was yeah. he taller than that, yeah. He's like 6'2", I think. Was he? okay? What about, uh, what about? well, I don't know if he counts as under 6 feet. Tim Hardaway? Nope. not No,
4: he's not. Oh, I yeah, got, I got like one. It.
2: No, I got one. The pocket rocket. I'm just taking all the shortest dudes I can remember. Calvin mind. Murphy.
4: Calvin Murphy oh, yeah. is the one, number one. That's right. Seventeen thousand.
1: What was he? Five Forty nine points. So
4: more than twice as many as Isaiah Thomas has through his first six season. Right.
1: What was what was the Calvin other Murphy? Five uh,
4: uh, nine. I think ones so. Are yeah. Stuff. So number six is Avery Johnson, mm-hmm. um, who Thomas should pass fairly easily next season. Number five, Dana Barros. Both those guys five eleven. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Michael, number four, oh. Michael Adams. Oh, I got another one.
2: Wait, wait, I thought of another one. I don't know if, I, I think he's under six feet. Damon Stoudemire?
4: Yes. Yeah.
2: So, he's number four,
4: Michael feet. Adams. Number three, Terrell Brandon. Number two, Damon Stoudemire. And number one, Calvin Murphy. Wow.
2: Mm. That's Tom, pretty, should pass all good those
4: guys except Calvin Murphy fairly easily. And then, yeah. you know, just be a matter of longevity as far as passing uh, Calvin, Calvin Murphy.
1: Man, I didn't realize. You know, that's you think about how many years you have to play to pile up those kinds of points. Yeah. Um, I, I Calvin mean, Mur-
4: yeah, Calvin Murphy's seventieth all time uh, on the all time. You know, on the all time scoring list. Huh?
1: That's crazy. That's crazy. And
4: so he's seventieth, and so you know, and first among guys under six feet. But mm-hmm. and that's with thirteen seasons.
1: So. I, I would like to go back and measure everybody to find out who's real because I I've stood <laughs> yeah, you next look to everybody. I know guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying there's some dudes who who got six feet or taller that aren't six feet or taller. Yeah,
2: well, um, you're you're the right person to be talking about height.
1: <laughs> well, I know Isaiah Thomas is the, the height he's listed at because every time I've interviewed him, we look eye to eye. I mean, right. <laughs> so I guarantee you he's he's right on the money. Um, Shu, you had the rookie survey drop on nba.com um a little surprising to me the rookies picked dennis smith jr to win rookie of the year lavar ball must be quite upset but john what did you
2: say about that (laughs) yeah
4: i thought it was interesting you know um dennis smith jr i guess had you know had an impressive summer league um not that lonzo ball didn't um but, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I think it's, you know, we think of Rookie of the Year as a combination of talent and opportunity. Um, I think both these guys are going to have the ball in their hands. Although, you know, maybe Lonzo Ball has to share the playmaking duties a little bit more than Dennis Smith Jr. does. It's a good It's like interesting, you know, like mm-hmm. our, because Brandon Ingram's a, been an awful shooter and, you know, was an awful shooter in his rookie year. So does he need the ball in his hands? And I think it's going to be interesting to see LA with those two guys in particular and how they uh, how they share the ball. Which one of them can develop some off the ball skills? Um, but yeah, I I, I, I I'm just thinking about this. You know, we're probably going to have to make predictions on this at some point. I might favor Ball just because. One, it's in LA. Two, he just passes the ball. So he's going to rack up some some assist yeah. numbers. Yes. You would think, even if yes. the Lakers don't have a great offense, yeah, um, he's going to rack up some serious assist numbers.
2: John, what did you say? The uh, the I think you said it in the piece you wrote to go with the rookie thing, but the in the past, how accurate have the rookies been on their predictions for for rookie of the year?
4: Oh, they've been pretty awful. You know, we've done it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't remember. We've done it since 2007, though we missed two years, so that would be let's see, that would be oh, nine times we've done it, and the only time they predicted it correctly was uh, Kevin Durant in 2007. Mm. Um, although they did pick Blake Griffin the year he was drafted, and then he didn't play, and then he won, he won it the following year, but technically they didn't get it right that year. So, um, so as a whole, rookies have been pretty bad, but I said it on Twitter the other day. You know, this rookie class has never gotten it wrong. So, you know, they it's a different it's a different set of rookies. Maybe this set of rookies is smarter than the, than last year's when they picked uh, Chris Dunn uh, nice. to win Rookie of the Year, and obviously he didn't come anywhere
1: close. Yeah, well, should be interesting. Um, I love the rookie survey. I love the GM survey. I love all your surveys. You um, <laughs> gives me something to chew on this time of year that that doesn't involve. Breaking news, Kyrie Irving traded to the Boston Celtics. Um we appreciate it man. We'll uh we'll talk again here uh coming up. We got uh Hall of Fame issues that we have to discuss with you at some point uh before the enshrinement ceremony. Um I want to argue. I'm just letting you know now. I got some beefs to pick with both of you about the whole thing.
2: I also, you know, somewhere around here in the tri-state area, Carmelo Anthony's tapping his toe and looking at his watch, <laughs> thinking like, "What's going on here?" <laughs> got his hoodie on. Going. So, uh, wasn't hello?
4: it just last week where we were talking? Why hasn't this? Why hasn't? Why haven't these trades happened yet?
2: Well, and yeah, I think
4: well, I said, well, "Well, if it hasn't happened yet, well, you know, how's it going to happen?" Well,
2: like you, said it, was, you said it. You you were like, "It's probably not going to happen yeah. until October." We're knocking
1: them down. We're, <laughs> getting, we're getting to them, shoot. <laughs> you know, be patient, brother. Be patient. We're getting to the trades.
4: All right, so let's just say <laughs> predict that Carmelo is definitely not gonna get traded until, you know, December, you know, fifteenth <laughs> or whatever and then it'll happen tomorrow
1: or something like exactly, that. Exactly. Exactly. The shoe. We appreciate you, brother. Alright, folks. All right, take it easy. All right, man. John Schumann, our man from NBA.com, dot com, numbers master, big brain himself. Lang, we we talked about this. We we have been speaking it into existence how this summer would go out. If, if we foreshadow it enough, if we say it every week, Kyrie Irving might be on a new team the next time we come to you here on the Hangtime Podcast. It only took us two months for it to get done. So let's keep talking. Carmelo Anthony might be on a new team, Lang, the next time the Hangtime Podcast drops. Just keep saying it.
2: Right.
1: Repeat it. Repeat it. Repeat it. This NBA offseason, <laughs> it refuses to stop chugging along, people. Make sure you follow all the action at NBA.com. Subscribe on iTunes. Hang time. Be sure to leave a review and come back every week to find out what we're talking about. We'll appreciate it. And we'll see you right here next time on the Hang Time Podcast.
2: Later.
3: Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes a new episode every single Thursday this season, and as always, people, remember, say kuna
0: When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until four, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply.